You don't know. You're supposed to know. <laughs> no announcements? Announcements? Greg? Do we have any announcements? Greg's not in here. Uh, what's that? Okay, yeah, anyone who would like to uh, pray and fast with sort of in agreement with our missions team that's going down to New Orleans, probably not going to Mississippi, New Orleans, uh, they will be doing that this Saturday and they will be breaking their fast at Greg's house at I think 5 o'clock this Saturday and anyone is welcome to go and join them at they break their fast. I think it's a potlucker. It's at 5.30. It's at 5.30, actually. 5.30. And so uh, be, please be praying for them. We still There's still actually a lot of detail that needs to uh, be come together sort of last minute for this particular trip. Uh, the planning hasn't gone quite as smooth as uh, some of the other trips, so we uh, had to make a change. Uh, a few changes last minute, so please be praying for that. But it is a blessing to be able to participate in that. Okay, we are in First Samuel chapter 18. First Samuel chapter 18. Actually, we're, we're going to begin in verse 54 of the previous chapter, chapter 17. But before we begin, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this time together, and I, I just pray that we would learn uh, this evening something of the, your power, Lord God, and something of uh, the, the faith, Lord God, that we uh, can exercise, Lord God, to see your power, Lord God, at work in our lives and the lives of the people around us. And Father, I just pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, uh, that you would... Uh, guide uh, my words, Lord God, even as um, I'm teaching, and uh, Lord God, that um, all of us, uh, including me, Lord God, we'd, we'd be fully submitted to your word, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh, 1 Samuel, going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the book of 1 Samuel. It says in, uh, it le- so last week we finished with chapter 17, where uh, David has his... Anyone need a Bible, by the way? If you do, raise your hand. Anyone need a Bible? The, uh, we, we finish with uh, this tremendous story of uh, David and Goliath and uh, how Goliath uh, was defeated by, by, by David. And uh, it's uh, such a popular story that it, even in the secular world it's uh, frequently used as an illustration of sort of the little guy uh, against the big guy. In fact, it's, it wasn't that at all. It was a God against a very little guy is what it was. But uh, So David uh, defeats uh, Goliath, and in verse 54, we'll just start off with this uh, wonderfully gruesome verse here. Uh, and David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. And so he took the head uh, of this uh, Philistine Goliath, and he brought it back to Jerusalem. And remember, David uh, couldn't understand why the nation of Israel was just cowering under the taunts of of, uh, Goliath for 40 days, and he wanted to bring this head 
it sounds by barbaric to us, but he wanted to bring it to Jerusalem as a witness to let the people know that God, uh, that there was a God in Israel, that God is stronger than any giant, that he would not be taunted or intimidated uh, by an uncircumcised Philistine, meaning uh, someone who was out of covenant, uh, out of a covenant relationship uh, with God. And it says that he took his, in that same verse, it says he took his armor to his tent. And so it was a reminder to uh, himself that uh, uh, he had, sl- uh, that God had slew a giant. What's the past part of, what's the past tense of slew? Slew? Sloan? Slew? <laughs> Uh, who, who knows? Sling? Slain? God had slain uh, a, a giant. And, you know, uh, David was, Goliath was just the first of many, many giants uh, that David would meet. And uh, David was given to uh, rather uh, extreme mood swings. And he would need this reminder. He would need this reminder uh, to him that, that God uh, was with him. And uh, so often the way that Satan beats us up is to try, to, is to put a Goliath in front of us and say, you know, God's never removed a Goliath from, from your life. Uh, but he has. And that's one of the reasons I keep uh, sharing with uh, Eric this morning about how I keep a, uh, a prayer journal and I really don't enter anything into it unless uh, there's been some sort of answered prayer which cannot be uh, explained by natural means. And it is a tremendous encouragement because Satan will just put us in a fog, in a tremendous fog, where we're, we're thinking, there, there's, there's no God in this world that, that, that can remove me from my circumstances. So important to have those. So David takes his armor to his tent, and uh, it would be uh, a reminder to him. But uh, something else happens uh, as a result of this battle. David received something else. Uh, he received a friend, and he received a friend in Jonathan. So let's uh, just keep on reading. It says in verse 55, when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of his armory, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O, o king, I do not know. So the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, this is important, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So, one of uh, probably the greatest human friendship that we see in the Bible uh, David actually described it later as his love for Jonathan was um, he, greater than a, his, his love for a woman. And uh, actually, it was probably had something to do with he had a very dysfunctional love life, David did. But uh, uh, so he really didn't know what it was really like to love a woman the way he should uh, have. But uh, 
yet at the same time, it was a great example of friendship. And I just want to talk about uh, that for a while because uh, ever since I was a little boy, God has blessed me. You know, I hear all these things all the time that men can't have friends, but women, they make friends incredibly easy. But, uh, I, for, you know, it's something that I really don't know a whole lot about. For ever since I was a little boy, God has just blessed me with just beautiful, deep friendships and something that I appreciate so much. In fact, in my wedding, uh, I had 10 guys. And so one woman said, there's a bus stop up there. And, you know, uh, 10 guys in my, you know, sitting next to me as, uh, what do you call them, groomsmen or whatever. And so this one woman makes fun of me that I was like, go- going to my wedding is like watching a bus stop with all the people there. But I, I just had, I've always had, each season of my life, and my I've had uh, one or two very, very close uh, friends. And, um, and so it is something that God blesses wa- us with. You know, a British publication once offered uh, uh, a prize for uh, the best defini- definition of a friend, and uh, I'm just going to read a couple of them. One who multiplies joys, divides grief, and whose honesty is unbreakable. I love that. One who understands our silence. That's good, but it's missing a lot. It's missing something. Friends got to be something other than that. A volume of sympathy bound in a cloth. Sounds kind of worldly. The one who b- comes in when the whole world has come out. The one who comes in when the whole world has come out. That one won. And that, that one won the prize. And that is a, a good... A, a good description of the of the friendship between Jonathan and David, uh, where where Jonathan really came in, where everyone else had had walked out in a remarkable way. Uh, you know, a the proverb seventeen seventeen has a lot of different things to say about uh, friends. It says, "A friend loves at all time, but a brother is born for adversity." So, a real friend loves at all times, and. Uh, in, in verse 1 there of chapter 18, it says, The, the soul of Jonathan, Jonathan was knit to him. If you do a Hebrew word study, that word knit, fastened, fastened uh, to him. And any, any one of you who's ever been real close to uh, a, a friend knows what that's like. It's exactly what happens. Your, your soul just fastened to him. And that's a gift of God. And, and we need to uh, remember that. And so, but I think what was just, it, it's remarkable uh, you know, I've always just sort of taken this friendship for granted without really seeing, you know, how it happened. There was a very specific reason why this happened. You know, Jonathan, after watching David take down Goliath, and, and he's witnessing David with his, his father Saul, something is happening in his heart. Something very unique is happening as he's witnessing that. Something very special. And... and uh, the reason is this. We've learned over the last few weeks that, that Jonathan and David were very similar in that because of their faith and their love for God, they were very isolated. Now, I, I've talked about this a lot before, that if you're really walking with Jesus, your faith is going to isolate you, even in the church. Even in the body of Christ, your faith isolates. Look what happened to Abraham. 
He was isolated because of his faith. And, and let me tell you, it's in those times which are just, they're, they're painful, but they're times which, which just grow you up uh, in the Lord. But I just loved the, the reading through and studying 1 Samuel 14 and, and teaching on it, it where, where it says in, in the previous chapter, uh, in chapter 13, it says that if you just turn back with me there to Samuel chapter chapter 13, the Philistine army was uh, gathered and there was something like 10,000 chariots or some crazy thing. Uh, look in verse 5, the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And then look what it says in verse 6, when the men of Israel saw they were in danger, for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in pits. And so they were just tormented in fear. They were in, tormented in fear even though they were dealing with an enemy that, whose people lived every single day in complete opposition to God, who were at enmity with God. They were in complete bondage and fear. And then what happens in chapter 14, uh, chapters should be read together, uh, Jonathan just says to his armor bearer, completely alone, guy is completely alone, come, let us go to the garrison of these uncircumcised. May, maybe the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving uh, by many or by few. Can you imagine how alone that Jonathan felt how alone he felt just being in Israel. Just being in Israel. David, the same way. It, there's this wonderful picture in, 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 in chapter uh, 16, or actually it was uh, chapter, chapter 17, where uh, David comes into the camp. And for 40 straight days... Goliath had been taunting them, and it says in there that the people trembled. Verse 24, chapter 17, they were dreadfully afraid. Sore afraid was, is the real uh, translation. That means they were so afraid it was painful to them. But David comes in and sees the Philistine taunting the people, and, and he says in verse 26, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This was not pride. This was bewilderment. He was bewildered. And then it says in, in, the, in, in the ensuing verses that he just went from group to group. What's going on here? He was alone. He was alone. He was isolated. And, and you can just imagine... Uh, the the isolation. They were both living in a world where every, everyone around them is trembling in fear, and and they just didn't understand that. And there and, and it's a it's a very difficult place to be. And uh, so faith in Christ it's a very isolating thing. And and finding someone who really, you know, when you're in that season of life. When I was uh, first became a Christian, I I. I opened up the Bible, and, and it was just something new and wonderful, and I ran into my church expecting everyone else to have the same kind of excitement as I did, and I couldn't find anyone. I couldn't find anyone who was even interested in talking about Jesus, and it was a Christian church, 
And, and I remember finally, uh, finally running into someone who was just interested in talking about Jesus. And there's just something that it's just such a relief. It's like water to the soul. It's like, come here. I love you. Come here. I got to spend time with you, you know. And, and so uh, here when uh, Jonathan sees David, you know, many, some people think that Jonathan, and I think I believe this uh, as well. There's, there, it doesn't say it in the text, but many, some people think that Jonathan would have gone after Goliath. I mean, the guy had just gone after 30,000 people by himself, he would have gone after the Goliath, but Saul, refusing to accept the fact that the kingdom was going to be torn away from him, and so his son Jonathan was not going to become king someday, Saul refused to let him fight Goliath. I, I, I really think I do believe that. that. Because, I mean, Jonathan was a man of just tremendous courage, and he had already seen God hand act in a mighty, mighty way. So, you know, he's there, though, living a very isolated life. Certainly, in the life in his own home has got to be awful. Saul, as we've already seen, was a man who was just given to total stagnation by this point. Remember Saul under the pomegranate tree, where he's just sort of, the Philistines are on the other side of the cliff, and Saul is just sort of stuck there, Paralyzed, wondering what he's going to do. Same thing in, uh, same thing in, you know, with, with Goliath for forty days. What's Saul doing? He's just paralyzed in his tent. Doesn't know what to do. Doesn't know what to do. And so, even his own father, and, and, and some of you who don't have Christian parents know, it, it's it's sometimes you feel very lonely going uh, to your Christmas or Thanksgiving gathering or holidays. You just feel so alone. And so, finally, though, Jonathan, uh, uh, David is brought before Saul, and, and, you know, David's got this bloody head, you know, next to him, and, and he's carrying around Goliath, and, and, and Jonathan's heart, it just says in verse 1 uh, of, of chapter 18, it just, Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Wow, here is a man that I can, I can really love and have a deep, deep friendship with, and and uh, and so uh, that's what happens. And then it says a real interesting thing happens there in verse four. Uh, Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Now every church that I've ever been associated with, the pastors have had to suffer through one complaint that over time becomes very wearisome to their souls. And that complaint, I was just listening to a pastor from California this week uh, talking about the same uh, complaint. And uh, uh, that complaint is, you know, the people in this church, uh, they just don't reach out to me. And I've waited and I've waited and no one has really expressed an interest in me and I'm, I just haven't connected and la, la, la. I won't do that, really. I don't. I won't. I won't. But, I, but uh, uh, it's something that you hear and you hear. But you know, Proverbs eighteen fourteen says, "A man who has friends must himself be friendly." Let me ask you this: Do you see Jonathan when he sees David coming up, saying to himself, "Well, I'm just going to wait right here until that boy comes over to me," you know? 
I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna hang out until he expresses an interest in me. After all, I'm the prince. After all, I'm ten years uh, ten years older than him. He's at least, by the way, ten or fifteen years older uh, than David. Uh, after all, you know, I'm a commander of, a, of, of troops. He was a commander of, uh, of the army. No. What does he do? He actually goes to David and takes off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. That, I tell you, uh, really speaks volumes. You need to reach out. If, if you really feel like you have a need for a friend in your life, the Bible says, let he who has, one who has friends needs to be friendly. You, you need to reach out, just as, J, uh, as Jonathan did, and, and be vulnerable. And as I tell people this all the time, you have to be vulnerable. Yes, you could go to one, two, or three people, and they may stiff you, but... But faith is about being vulnerable, and, 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 and being a Christian is about reaching out and living by faith. And so uh, Jonathan had every right to expect to be the one to be approached by David. But what does he do? No, he, he goes out and does this really just this incredible thing. You know, one thing about a real friend is a friend helps you. Listen, this is important. A friend helps you achieve your calling in life. A friend discerns what your calling is better than you do and, and, and helps you and pushes you uh, in that direction. You know, Jonathan already sensed that his father's kingdom was in decline. He had witnessed Samuel and, and the things that Samuel had said to Saul, where Samuel had said, Saul, you, the kingdom's going to be torn away from you. Uh, he knew that someone else was going to be king and it wasn't him. Uh, and, and this was... Uh, but here he is, he's, he's giving the kingdom over to one who he feels like, wow, this could be someone who could, God could really prosper. And listen, if, if anyone in the, in, in the eyes of the world was ever qualified to be king, it was Jonathan. I mean, all that he had already uh, achieved. But this is really humility and this is real friendship. He didn't see David as a threat, but rather as someone who would advance the kingdom of God and Jonathan's friendship, as every friendship will do, will, will propel David to sort of a, a new place in terms of uh, what God wanted to do with his his life. And so, a friends will recognize uh, the calling of God on your life. Actually, many times uh, more than. You do so. We in the uh, next few chapters, uh, we will see that when David was down, Jonathan lifted up. When he was under attack, he was he uh, defended him. And when he was down, he corrected him sometimes. Or when he was wrong, he corrected him. Didn't condemn him, but corrected him. Uh, when uh, David got off track, J- uh, Jonathan was there to put him back. We will see that as the uh, as the story uh, unfolds. And so. Uh, I, I do, you know, in, in the next few verses, uh, what, what you'll see is, is the friendship being really, really tested. Now, any friendship that I've ever had since I was a Christian uh, has been severely tested. Severely tested. And to the point where in the natural, I'm saying to myself, there's no way this relationship can ever be the same again. And, and by the way, 
this happens on a regular basis in counseling. I'm thinking to myself, you know, in the natural, forget it. This relationship can't be restored. And, and, and Satan just comes right in because he knows what's at stake when, you know, iron sharpens iron and, uh, you know, a cord of three easily broken. What's, the, what's that verse? Uh, what's that? Okay, that's one. How about the a cord of three strings is not easily broken. So it's friendship of three. But, uh, uh, it, but, but, but Satan wants to, knows what, at, knows what is at stake when we're, where two or more um, are in friendship. And, and lots, of, uh, lots of warfare. But, you know, every time I get into a situation where I'm in some sort of relationship that something has happened, there's been a misunderstanding, or maybe there's been an outright breach of trust, i got to make a decision. And I always tell, tell myself this, and when I'm counseling, I tell pe- people this. I, I, I say, you know, if Jesus is my Lord, I, I have to decide. It's, all, it's a lordship issue. If Jesus is my Lord, I can't walk away. Period. I can't walk away. They can walk away. The other person can walk away. That's their choice, but I cannot. And, and whenever there's any kind of uh, division, I... Um, I always go to Colossians chapter 2. Please go there with me. Colossians chapter 2. And, and I read this because this is the standard for friendship. And this is the standard that you see uh, there with uh, Jonathan and, and David. Colossians chapter 2. Uh, actually, chapter 3. I'm sorry. Chapter 3, uh, verse 12. It says this. Therefore is the elect of God. Holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so uh, you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts." Now, um, back to for Samuel 18, uh, the, the relationship was uh, very much tested. Let's just go on in verse 5, 1 Samuel 18. It says, so, when, uh, so David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely, and Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now, it had co- happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women had come out of all the city of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul and tambourines with joy and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. It says, then Saul was very angry, and, and, and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousand, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed, meaning uh, he, he looked with envy or suspicion on David from that day forward. So uh, when your friend is prospering, there's the test of, there's the test of really of, of when your friend is prospering, are you going to be uh, are you going to be boosting him up in his prosperity, or in your heart are you going to be wishing you were there? Uh, you know when the, when the when the women are are singing with David, 
are you singing along with them? And so Saul was jealous here, and 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 as as David. But the thing that back to the whole thing with with Jonathan, as David's star is rising, Saul's is fading. But guess what? Jonathan's is fading too, like in a big big way. And 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 but you don't hear Jonathan say, you know, well, what about all the Philistines that I've slain and I single-handedly, to, you know, protected Israel from complete defeat? You you don't hear him saying that. And so uh, severe tests. There had to be a turmoil uh, in his in his heart, you know, as as he saw this, but he really comes through, and that, it, it, and then there's also the test of of loyalty. Verse ten, it says, and it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand, as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand, and Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all his ways and the Lord was with him. Therefore when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. Verse 17, then Saul said to David, here is my older daughter Merab. Now remember, Saul had promised his daughter to anyone who defeated Goliath. And so he said to David, okay, well, here's my daughter Merab. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. In other words, he wanted the, the Philistines to to kill David in battle. So uh, verse 18 said, So David said to Saul, Who am I and what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? But it happened at that time that, that Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adriel the Meholite as a wife. So very interesting, by the way, here, David doesn't react to this. He doesn't just immediately react to this. And, and this is a theme that we're going to see over and over again in the next eight years of David's life as there's conflict with Saul. His amazing self-control, the, the self-control of David when it came to sort of adversity with sort of authority over him in his life was just truly amazing, truly amazing. Verse 20 says, Now... Uh, Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David, and they told Saul, and that the thing pleased him. So Saul said, I will give her to him that she, uh, she may be a snare to him. Must have been some kind of woman, I've got to tell you. Uh, her dad's like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll give her to him. That, that'll surely ruin his life. Uh, but anyway, uh, and, 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 and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall be my son-in-law today. And Saul commanded his servants, communicate with David secretly and, and say, Look, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now therefore, become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servants spoke those words in the hearing of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing I am a poor and lightly esteemed man? And the servants of Saul told him, saying, In this manner David spoke. Verse 25. 
Then Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, The king does not desire any dowry but one hundred foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David. David had just such a robust faith in the power of God. Uh, It says, It pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Now the days had not expired. Therefore David arose and went, he and his men, and killed 200 men of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, and they gave uh, them in full count to the king, that he might have become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, as a wife. Thus Saul and saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him and Saul was still more afraid of David. So this is the third time we're told uh, that Saul is afraid of of David. So Saul became uh, David's enemy continually or, or all the days. Some of you may have that footnote. Verse 30, Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war and so it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. And let's go on. In in verse 1 it says, Now Saul uh, spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan Saul's son delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan told David, My father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. And I will stand out I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. And so here you see the test of loyalty in friendship. And so this had had to be quite a crisis in the life of Jonathan where his father, who also happens to be the king now feels that David is an enemy, an enemy of the state. You know, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? And, you know, again, back to that definition, that one, that uh, British publication, uh, a friend is uh, the person who comes in when everyone else has gone out. And so that test of loyalty, uh, David, uh, Jonathan still, he sticks, he remains faithful uh, to David, uh, and to the point where eventually Saul starts throwing uh, things at, at Jonathan as well, and, and he's walking this, this very fine line. Okay, so I just want to go back and, and uh, go over just a few more things in that chapter, but we will be following this friendship, the friendship of Jonathan and, and David uh, for, for you know, quite some time. The, you know, the one thing that I will uh, caution you, as much as friendships are a tremendous blessing from the Lord, uh, the one thing that you want to avoid is having friends become a substitute for Jesus Christ. Jesus told his disciples that, you know, I, I call you now, I, I call you a friend. And one of the things that I've seen over the years is friends becoming substitutes for Jesus. A, a real friend doesn't let that happen. A real friend recognizes that and pushes you towards Jesus. A real friend will even withdraw himself or herself to prevent that from happening. And, and so Jesus Christ, uh, you know, we never want to go to anyone, including a friend, including a wife, including a husband, 
or a father or mother when we really should be going to the Lord. And, and, and that's why that the, you know, Jesus says in, in Luke, he says these, these often misinterpreted verses. He says uh, uh, to his disciples, unless you hate your mother and your father and your wife and your husband and your son-in-law and your sister-in-law and, and your daughters and your son, you are not worthy to be my disciples. I believe what that means, that word hate, means you need, to, you need to hate them in the sense that they've become an idol in your life because family easily becomes an idol in your life. It can easily become a substitute for Jesus. And so what he's saying in Luke is you need to remove that idol from your life, not physically, but just the idol, the habit of treating them as an idol and turning to them when, uh, when you should only be going uh, to the Lord. But in verse 14 in, in, in chapter 18, uh, it says that, And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Why is that? You know, I know we've done a contrast between uh, David and, uh, and Saul, but, but really, if you look through their lives, um, I really believe that the, the primary reason why David uh, wound up like this and Saul wound up the way he was is because the Lord had become a living reality in the life of David as a young shepherd. He learned to see God and to listen to God in the quiet, idle moments of his life. You know, we've, again, we've spent a lot of time contrasting Saul and David, but you know, I want to submit to you that this was the biggest difference in their life. What they did in their idle time, their quiet time. Remember Saul in 1 Samuel 13 uh, with the Philistines? He was supposed to wait seven days. He couldn't do it. That The waiting just was unbearable for him. Uh, in chapter 14, again, under the pomegranate tree, it, it was just unbearable. Just waiting, trying to figure out in his quiet time. And then in chapter 16, while he's in the tent, the tent while Goliath for 40 days was taunting Israel, he couldn't deal just with the waiting. And, and um, you know, I think of, of David, though, and, and what throughout the Psalms, I really feel like, like the difference between the two was that David knew how to handle the quiet, idle time in his life. What did he say in, in, in the Psalms? He says, My soul shall be satisfied with marrow and fatness. This is Psalm 63. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. My soul follows close behind you. Your quiet moments, your idle time is, is going to make you it's going to make you. It's going to form you. Your idle moments can turn your mind into a fountain of the Word of God, or they can turn your mind into a cesspool of every filthy, wicked, awful, ugly thing this world has to offer. And that's the truth. And, and, and David, if you look through the Psalms, that's the one thing that, you know, where his heart was formed. Your heart is formed by your quiet, idle time. And, and, and so, you know, I, I, I give this uh, 
advice to people all the time, you know, people struggling with what they're doing with their thought lives. Fill your idle time with worship. Fill it with Christian tapes, reading the Word, scripture memory. You know what I, I, I've done in the past, which is wonderful? I just write down on, on little note cards uh, scripture, and when I'm in a doctor's office or whatever, at, or in the tea or wherever, just begin to memorize scripture. Begin to memorize entire psalms. I mean, forget about the wimpy little one or two verses. Go for an entire psalm, an entire book, uh, in, uh, you know, or a chapter in the, um, in the New Testament. You know, you hear the, you know, when preachers are trying to twist people's arm to, to get money out of them, you hear them say, well, you know, your checkbook shows your level of spirituality. And actually, there's a lot of truth to that. But, but actually, what, what tests people's spirituality more than anything else is their idle time. How often do you listen to the Lord during the day? How often do you pray to God? Are you so busy doing stuff that you're not hearing from the Lord? Uh, in other words, uh, you know, is it, is it something that's taken up your whole day? You know, I love, love that expression that prayer is an attitude. It really is. It's, it's sort of just the habit, the attitude of listening to God all day. You know, recently... Uh, a neighbor of ours, an elderly man, uh, died, and we had we had actually known him for ever since we moved into the neighborhood uh, eight or nine years ago. And, uh, and Greg actually had got to know this guy pretty well, and uh, been over to to his house. And you know, it's pretty amazing. This guy died, and and a month after he died, a month after he died. I feel the Lord saying, you know, you have not even gone down and visited his wife. And, and I'm just thinking to myself, I'm so busy doing stuff. I'm so busy doing, quote, unquote, the Lord's work. I'm not doing what the Lord's, I'm sure, has been telling me to do for the last month. I, I knew he had died weeks before. And, 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 so, and so often we get so busy. I mean, if I'm not going and visiting a widow, a recently widowed woman... I might as well just throw in the towel. I don't have my priorities right. And so how often we don't have that attitude uh, in our idle moments to, to, to listen to God. We're so, we're so busy. And a lot of times we're busy doing the Lord's work when we're not thinking about God's priority. You know, God's put people right in our lives, our neighbors. They may be completely lost, like this couple, by the way, uh, very much as you can pray for the woman, her name is Ella, but... That doesn't mean that they're, they're, God put them there for a reason. You're supposed to be ministering to them and reaching out to them. And so I did go over there, and, and I had to apologize. And I said, you know, I, I, I really feel awful about this. I've known about this for a while, and I haven't come over to visit you. And it was one of those things where the, you know, the memorial service is still like a couple months away, one of these delayed things. And so, uh, but, but, you know, anyway, prayer needs to be an, uh, uh, an attitude. And so David knew, and over time, he just developed the habit of what to do in those quiet moments. And so, I uh, love that book, Changed My Life. It's called Waiting on God by Andrew Murray. I, I recommend it to absolutely everyone who's willing to listen to. Just a little 30-day devotional, Waiting on God. It, it's Waiting on God is a phrase you see about 
70 times in the Old Testament, throughout the Psalms, very, very important uh, concept uh, of waiting on God, whether it's the, the term waiting on God is used or a, a similar term used throughout the Bible. Uh, and really the principle is worship, worship. That's what we do with our life and in our quiet time and our idle moments. And so uh, it says in verse 12 uh, just uh, of chapter 18, it says, Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. And this often happens when there's a godly man or woman uh, in your life and you're, you're living uh, a, a life that's opposed to God, you will be instinctively scared of the person. And, and that's the truth. And by the way, that's just one of the, you know, Psalm 103 says, bless the Lord and forget us not his benefits. So that's one of the benefits of being and walking with the Lord. Not that you want people frightened of you, but people, people will understand instinctively that, wow, I, I really... I, there's something about this person I don't really want to cross them <laughs> because there's a righteousness there and there's a godliness and there's a God behind this, per- this man or this woman. And so it says that Saul was uh, afraid. Uh, and then it, but it says the Lord had departed uh, from Saul. And, and, you know, that is just an unspeakable tra- uh, tragedy. I mean, I can't imagine being for 40 days with this, this eight-and-a-half-foot giant taunting my army in the tent, and the Lord is not with me. And, and you really, really get this sense later on when, when Saul goes after Samuel, after Samuel is dead and he goes to the witch of Ender, he's just going nuts because the Lord's not with him anymore. Why? Because he had rejected the Lord. But, but at the same time, he couldn't deal just with the, the, uh, the, the extreme depression and mental illness that all, often uh, comes along with someone who has decided to outright uh, reject uh, the Lord. And, and so it says the, the Lord had departed uh, from Saul. And uh, last thing I just want to close with is there is, you know, you oftentimes get questions about verse 10 and the evil spirit that it says that the Lord sent to Saul, the distressing spirit from the Lord. Actually, in the previous chapter, actually, uh, no, actually, what was that? That's chapter... Uh, 16, 14. verse 14, right, uh, chapter 16, that says the Lord uh, sent him a distressing spirit. Some translations say an evil spirit. Who has King James? Who's a spiritual person? 99? 19.9. What is the word? Distressing spirit. And, you know, people try to water this verse down, but the fact of the matter is, is that uh, you know, Genesis 6.3 says, My spirit will not always strive with man. When man is in rebellion against God, God is, God's spirit is striving with him. Striving with him. And hence, this, 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 uh, this notion, this concept of a dis- distressing spirit uh, from God. That Psalm 18, verse 26 says, With a devious he will show himself shrewd. That word shrewd, uh, literally, uh, if you look at the Hebrew do a word study, there's the word struggle there, or torturous, or uh, wrestle. And, and, and so it, it's just all it's talking about, it's, it, it, it's, it's someone who has put their life up in opposition to God, can expect 
that striving spirit from the Lord, that opposition from the Lord. And I tell you, no one ever wins a battle with God. And, and uh, it's just a, a, a truly a human tragedy just watching Saul as he's just declining, as he's in decline. But at the same time, uh, it's just a glorious thing to watch David as, as the Lord is really just raising him up uh, and to be uh, a man of God. Okay. Praise God. We will continue next week. Uh, We're going to dismiss now. If you would like to come back and pray with us ten minutes from now, we will be regathering, regrouping uh, for prayer, and the women will be going over here and the men over here. Tonight, I think I'd like to pray for... uh, I think I'd like to pray for the the Vandercodes in Peru... They just found out, you know, I should have announced this, that we support them in Peru. Uh, Brian and Betty Vandercody, they have about three little churches there uh, that they do in a fairly large children's ministry. And uh, particularly for the people who went down to Peru, uh, this will be uh, good news, uh, or you'll be able to relate to this news a little bit more. They have been able to purchase a different space uh, that has uh, a ton of rooms in it, like 20 or 25 rooms, which is a big thing for them because they have so many missions teams going down there. And they have a bigger space. And the place they were in, their neighbors were all complaining because their worship was too loud. Good problem to have. Uh, and it, but it was a serious problem to the point where they were thinking, they're thinking uh, that they were having to go out in the field or something uh, and have church. And so uh, let's pray for Brian and Betty and that that purchase would go smoothly and that God would just use that ministry uh, in Peru. But if you need to go home and get your beauty sleep, God bless you. Okay, you're dismissed.